G'day, Cobbers, and welcome to the Rolling Mall, the Leicester Tigers fans podcast, which has survived Eunice, but unfortunately has a long list of puns regarding blowing away Bath, which in all good conscience I can't really use after our West Country rivals put up a hell of a scrap on Saturday. Yes, today we'll be reviewing our first win at the wreck in 11 years. 11 years, Elliot. Can you believe that? Matt, where were you 11 years ago? I probably can't say live on a podcast. As you know, it wasn't anything that dramatic. I can remember what Tigers were doing, though. I think it was just after England had shut the bed in Ireland while going for a Grand Slam. Yeah. And I think Ben Young's got a yellow card, and that was the first of what would become a regular pillaring that he would get from the England rugby public. But he came back, and him and Crofty just absolutely obliterated them. I think they scored two tries each. I think all of them were from about 50 metres out. I remember... Crofty burning Banahan and laughing at him as he did it. That was a beautiful sight. Uh, but anyway, we'll, we'll be talking about that game. We're going to be looking forward to a crucial and brutal home fixture against Gloucester this weekend back at Welford Road and announcing the hooker spot in Elliot Simports, as well as getting our teeth into a meaty selection of tight heads. We're also pretty thrilled to say that Tiger's head of physical performance, Alad Walters, will be dropping in for a chat about life at Tiger's, where we'll be convincing him to dish the dirt on who gets the most floggings. Elliot, you said your money is on James Whitcomb. Is that right? Yeah, purely just because I think that he gets picked on. Not through any fault of his own, but young lad just coming in. <laughs> it seems like an easy one where they do just go, Whitcomb, just go, yeah. go for a run, son. Yeah, young prop. He's always going to be the one that gets picked on, isn't it? I was going to say, I wonder if it's Nemani, but who's going to fucking tell him to do the extra lap around the pitch? Well, we'll find out later. But as always, I'm Mike, and I am joined by Elliot the genius behind View from LE2 blog. Mate, how are you? How was your weekend? Yeah, really good, thanks, mate. Uh, same as everyone. Batten down the hatches, survived the, uh, the storm. Oh, and, you uh, soft centralists, you know nothing. The West uh, Country, mate, we had the red warning. It was actually really fucking... Dis- like, they closed my son's nursery. Everything shut down. And I was thinking, you know, I went around the garden, you know, like, like weighing things down, like things <laughs> flat. I was thinking... Fucking hell, do I need to start boarding up the windows? Like thinking back to you, all those things you see in Florida when they know a hurricane's coming. And it was really eerie on sort of, you know, Thursday night, Friday morning. Everyone was kind of talking about it. Yeah, everyone was getting a bit worried. And all it was, I just thought, I remember just looking out and the best thing I could say was I thought it was a pretty crap day. And that yeah. was all it was. It wasn't even that windy. And I, I thought it was quite overblown. Ooh, sorry. Oh, certainly oh, where oh. we were. Maybe we weren't quite in the firing line. I know it was pretty bad for other people. But yeah, you survived though in the middle of uh, the country, didn't you? Yeah, that's it. The middle of middle of it all. We didn't really get too much uh, extreme stuff. It was pretty blustery, but not too bad. How about how about yourself? I saw you uh, were back out, back out on a pitch. Yeah, lock up your sons or your granddads as the level I'm playing at now. Yes, I, I had a trot back onto the pitch for the first time in two years, which was terrifying for everyone involved, particularly my teammates. How did it go? Yeah, <laughs> it was all right. So I came on for half an hour. The weather was, as you can imagine, shit. Horizontal rain blown across everywhere. I usually play centre, but I'm effectively a back row who can pass. And I had to come on on the wing because of an injury half an hour ago. So it was all right. I thought, well, you know, I can just go looking for work a little bit. The kiddie so, role, the back row slash winger. Basically, you're now Kini Murumuvalu. Oh, now if I had Kini Murumuvalu's feet, it'd be fine. But actually, I felt like I was like driving a traction engine around a racetrack, to be honest. <laughs> I was so tight. Like, you know, when you haven't done sprints for so long, it's awful. But my match stats read, I think, in half an hour, 
uh, one touch of the ball that was diving on a loose one after a kick. So zero carries. I, I kept running in to get a carry, but the scrum half kept knocking it on or the fly off knocked it on because the weather was so bad. It wasn't their fault. It was just awful. And then two tackles. One was an all right one. One was pretty run of the mill. And two punches to my face. Uh, so it was a pretty successful. That was winding up their scrum half, trying to get the ball back so we could take a quick tap. And then he punched me twice in the face whilst I laughed at him, which I, I need to stop picking on people who have neck tattoos because they're generally going to be a bit more aggressive, I think, than people yes. without neck tattoos. I mean, I'm, I'm surprised your car is in one piece. You didn't slash your tyres, you know, <laughs> put a golf bat through the uh, through the windscreen or something like that. So, I mean, he sounds like a bit of a psychopath. And I, I, I did say to you, I was a bit gutted because before the game, I did request a chip and chase from the first touch. Well, I was making all sorts of claims about crossfield kicks, wasn't I? Well, I put my request in and obviously you didn't get the ball. So I'm slightly disappointed. Well, I didn't deliver. What can I say? I just didn't deliver. Uh, well, I blame you. I blame you inside men. No, I, I blame myself. You know, I've got to go hunting for this if I want to do, if I want to go <laughs> ruin it in an otherwise tight game. But no, never mind. No, I was really happy to get out there. Sadistically, I quite liked being punched in the face. It was a bit of adrenaline I haven't had for two years. It made me realise why I missed it. And it was, uh, you know, good rugby values. He straight away afterwards, credit to him, he said, oh, sorry, mate, I completely lost my shit there. And I was like, yeah, you did, but that's fine. <laughs> it's fine. I just, yeah, took it off, shake hands, no problem, had a pint afterwards, all good. Uh, but no, that was my weekend, very nice. And then went for the family swim in the Grimace Leisure Centre changing rooms in the world. No toenails this time, but there was a discarded nappy on the floor. So you can't have everything, can you? No, no. It, it gives and takes an equal measure. <laughs> before we get going i'm just going to quickly uh say thank you on the podcast uh to sam hill who got in touch he said that he very much enjoys listening and he just wanted to let us know he thinks firstly he thinks that we're both funny but he also uh, and he's relieved to find out that th- there are other people who are as big a rugby norses about leicester tigers as he is that is exactly what we're here for that kind guilty. of thing yeah guilty, guilty as charged. guilty and also he wants to let it be known that he voted for Tatafi Plotter now in the Elliot's Imports hooker vote. The sympathy vote. I wondered who was... It, clearly, he was the only one. Well, no, his reasoning is very sensible because if not Plotter now, Plotter when? Oh. Oh, well done, Sam. I told you I'd get it in there and give you credit for the joke. Well done. That was excellent. He also made various comments about you know, the, the wreck being a, a wreck, but they weren't as good. So I'm going to ignore those jokes, but I will give you that pun. That was excellent. Well done. If uh, anyone else wants to get in touch with excellent insight or terrible puns, one or the other, or both, uh, please send us an email at therollingmall.outlet.com and our Twitter handle is at rollingmallpod. Okay, well, as we said earlier, we're really happy to be joined by Leicester Tigers, head of physical performance, one of the most sought-after coaches in his field in world rugby, and most importantly, the Welshiest man in Leicestershire. It's Alad Walters. Alad, thank you very much for joining us, mate. Thank you very much for so much bullshit in your introduction there. <laughs> you, should have seen, you should have seen what Bondi got us to say for him. <laughs> I felt sick after saying that. It was awful. <laughs> Um, um, I can only imagine. <laughs> Look, it's great to have you have you here. And before you get started, I'll say, probably on behalf of most Leicester Tigers fans, thanks to you and all the coaches for all the work you've done this season. It's really showing up on the pitch, the stuff the guys are doing. Looks like they're enjoying their rugby. But most importantly, Tuesday session, perhaps one of the harder sessions. Have you been cracking the whip today? 
Yeah, you were just off the field about uh, about an hour ago, forty five minutes, an hour ago. Yeah, it's 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 tough enough, but I suppose the boys are used to it now. So anything less, I think they'd be a little bit surprised, maybe even a little bit disappointed. <laughs> Front rows just finished crying as we speak. Now they're just sort of ga- composing oh, themselves they, for the. <laughs> oh, they 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 love it the most. Probably they're thriving in it. <laughs> so uh, one question I always want to know because you're. You come across like in interviews, obviously Bondi with the first few months when he joined in particular was sort of with you with a camera sort of every other day, it seemed. And you come across a really affable guy, not as, you know, like Steve obviously loves the limelight himself and, you know, he's a bit of an attention seeker, as we know. But you have one of the, I think, one of the toughest jobs in that you have to put guys effectively through hell and back, particularly in pre-season, really drive that performance and that fitness. How do you go about it as a coach? getting them to do that for you and for each other and for the club, what's sort of your philosophy in that? Um, I suppose one of the priorities is, is getting to know the boys on a human level, you know. Um, if if you can engage with, with with a player and a player engages with you, I think what, what you get is a little bit more out of them um, rather than telling someone to do something. Um, yeah, that, 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 that's important. But I think one of the main... Not a main misconception. A misconception, though, is that it comes down to just me or just the fitness staff or the SNC staff. You know, when 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 you look at the week, the 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 hardest thing in a week physically is the game. The second hardest thing in a week is the rugby training. So, in essence, our rugby coaches, the rugby staff, um, are our best fitness coaches. You know, if, if training isn't at an incredibly intense level, at least matching what we expect in the game, the demands of a game, then we were never going to be fit enough. So a 10-minute a uh, blast on the bike isn't going to do it. It isn't going to get us in the right position. So so I, th- I think that's probably something we need to recognise is it, it's, it's a massive effort by everyone to make sure the guys are fit enough and prepared to play every week. I'm glad that you said that because I did a 5k run for the first time the other week for ages and then declared myself match fit to go and play on Saturday and constantly <laughs> like, yeah, it was a disaster. So we won't talk any more about it. Never mind, <laughs> Elliot. I mean, Alan, it must be really, you must be really proud of how the season's going so far and what the team and the whole squad has achieved. What are you sort of most pleased with so far and where do you still see signs of, of growth and improvement still to come from this group? Um, yeah, it's, 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 it's pleasing to an extent, but I'd liken it to a pension, you know, it, it's, it's not about the work we're doing now. We, we, we invested a long time ago. So 18 months ago, probably longer than that now was when the, the hard work really started and, and, and on a consistent basis. So what you see now is the investment, um, of what the group put in a long time ago, and I'd imagine this time next year we'll be talking about the investment we we put in now. You know, it, it 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 doesn't work. It doesn't happen overnight. So, what you're seeing probably, and that's the really pleasing thing, is I think guys are seeing the result of continuous hard work, continuous effort, and really adhering to to high standards. So 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 that's that's a really pleasing thing. I think. Obviously, you were at South Africa before. I don't like to think about you coaching South Africa over England too much because it's still too sore, still too soon. But obviously, it was a great day. 
<laughs> I remember I remember I got like my son had just been born. I got him in a little England onesie and everything like that. So I was like, well, that was a load of use. And then he had he had an absolute meltdown the second Colby scored that second try. And it was perfectly timed. But um obviously you were at you know, a really elite international environment before. How do you compare sort of being now at a you know, still an elite, but a club environment before. Do you prefer, because I mean, you obviously have a bit more access day-to-day throughout the season with the players. Can you tailor their programmes more like you like to do? Yeah, that, that's the biggest difference. I think uh, at, at club level, you strive for international standards of, of working. Um, the environment being so competitive that it resembles what would be expected to be at international level with competition for places, um, and a real intensity to training and, and preparation. But yeah, that, that's the biggest difference. At club level, you you get to you get to do it on a weekly basis. And you're not relying on someone else to prepare your players for, for substantial periods of the year. And, and, and so that that's that's it. So at the t- same time, it all comes down to us as a group then as well, doesn't it? So if if things aren't, if we're not performing, it's our fault. Sometimes at international level, I suppose, if you in the Six Nations now, if if a team doesn't do well in the first week, well, they've only been in camp for a week. So what 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 could you do about it? You're probably thinking you might be pointing fingers at the clubs then anyway. But um, so that's so, so that's a difference. But um, I'm really enjoying the fact that I think Steve has won, um, Wiggy, you know, Kev, they've, they've, they've all experienced international level. Um, and so, so we want to recreate. We we want that to be our benchmark, and and you know that that's that's what we're pushing for continuously. Hopefully, helps the boys who do stand up, who do go up to international level. Hopefully, preps them and makes that transition potentially a little bit smoother. Because I know some guys find it a bit of a shock or have done previously. Exactly, and and that's always one of the challenges, isn't it? It's how the transition, how smooth is the transition from club to international, and coming back. So if we can, if we can do that, if we can give our players the tools to be able to transition comfortably to an England camp or to a Scotland camp or to a Welsh camp or a South African camp, you know, I feel like we've done done right by the player, um, which is obviously massively important, but it also means. There's a higher chance that they're going to be healthy and not getting injured when they get to an international camp where you'd imagine the intensity of training, competition, all of that that I've spoken about is is a little bit greater. So, yeah, if I think that's that's probably one of the, the gauges that we have. How comfortable do they feel when they go into camp? And yeah. if they don't feel comfortable from a physical or a technical level, then we're not doing we're probably not doing right by the player. I suppose you never quite know what Eddie Jones has planned, though, whether it's sort of samurai sword fighting or, or whatever it is he's doing this time round. Nobody knows. Good fun. He can do whatever he likes. He needs to win at the weekend, and that's it, isn't it? So, oh, yeah. we've, I've got a question on that, Alan. Don't worry. No, no, we're not, we're not going to talk about that, do we? So, uh... <laughs> LinkedIn with obviously the work that you do, Alan, how much do you phase during the season or how much do you do in the pre-season weeks ahead of the, you know, the cut and thrust of when the season starts? Is there a balance between it or do you, so do you have to do all of your work or the majority of it pre-season it's in top-up work throughout the season or how do you go about it once the games start coming thick and fast? Um, I, I, I don't think you can pool all your work into pre-season now, particularly 
for some teams. I think uh, the teams who ended up in the Premiership final last year, I think they had something like a four-week pre-season or something. So pre-season, you, you can't rely on that being the only stimulus. That that can't be the only physical stress of a season. If, if you're expecting to um, perform in May and June or April, May and June, to get into finals, as, as every team will want to do, you know, what, what he did last June or last July or last August probably isn't going to be enough. So that's why we carefully plan and, and try and best prepare our players to continuously have this stress um, in order to make sure we're as fit in, in June as we are in, in September coming out the pre-season. So that, that, that's where a lot of careful planning goes into allowing players enough time to recharge, regenerate um, and recover well in season, but then be fully charged going into the latter stages. You know, that, that's, that's, that's the, that's, I suppose, the beauty of it. And that's always the challenge, I think, for, for, for every team. You're head of physical performance now, and I know that was sort of a, a title that wasn't there straight away and it sort of developed. And you now kind of, look across as I understand it effectively all those performance aspects so be that nutrition injury prevention injury treatment as well as the SNC stuff and linking it into the rugby do you think before when I think a lot of teams might have had sort of separate individual departments for all of those and there wasn't sort of one person bringing it all together do you do you now sort of do you quite enjoy that sort of overseeing role omnipresent Alid? Um, or, um, or, or you know, or do you think it, do you see the importance of that, and do you, do you enjoy it? Yeah, I, I think the main thing is it's it's aligned thinking. It's um, everyone agreeing on a direction, and even if it's the wrong direction, let let let's go at it, and then it's easier to figure out where we went wrong, isn't it? But um, no, I, I enjoy it, but I enjoy it mainly because of the quality of staff that's here. You know, you look at the medical department is is tremendously strong. The strength and conditioning department is tremendously strong. Sports science, nutrition as well. So that, that makes my life a lot easier. That that allows me more time to spend with with Steve and the coaches to plan training. Because like I mentioned at the start, that that's the biggest stress outside of the game in a week. So we need to get that right always. You know. Um, so no, it it's um, but it, it's it's good. I I, th- I think you probably see that uh, the results of that that we're working in tandem. Currently, I think our injury rates are pretty good, um, and we're we're avoiding unnecessary injuries. We're we're trying to reduce that as much as possible, but still pushing performance. And and that again is the balancing act. You know, it, we we need the best of those both worlds anyway. But no, it's 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 brilliant. But but we've got a good environment here. We've got great staff, which makes my life much much easier. Just as long as I get all the credit for everything, though, that's the main. <laughs> that's a great thing in your job. If you are in the wrong direction, you just fire someone underneath you, and then and then go in the right direction and take the credit. Job done. Exactly. Exactly. I'm looking at Bondi, trying to get Bondi into the medical department so we can get rid of him as well. <laughs> With a sacrificial lamb for when things start to go south. Well, he, well, he's more of a sheep than a lamb now, isn't he? Have you seen his bloody hair? Yeah, I have done. But we all know anyway, he's taking directions from Lila the dog, who's on your lap at the moment. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's always handy when Bondi's just in earshot so you can throw those barbs in, I think. Oh, exactly. exactly. Fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> we might have to leave that one in for the edit, to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> Who gives a shit? 
<laughs> Alan, in terms of when it comes to the weekend, and obviously it is match day, and it's the, you know it is the main event of the, of the working week for you guys. How does your role change from early on in the week, where a lot of it is prep, and obviously as head of physical performance, you take charge of all that entails during the week. When it comes to Saturday or Sunday or you know Friday nights, what do you do on match day? What does your role change to? Obviously, when we see you during the warm ups, it looks like you take a you know. Steve comes to you as being the sort of eyes and ears of what's going on in that sort of preparation session. What happens on, on a match day with yourself and then throughout the game as well? I suppose initially trying to coordinate things. Um, you know, when, when, when you're into, I don't know how many games we've played now this season, when you're playing on a weekly basis, everyone knows what they're doing. Uh, everyone's pretty clear on that. So I suppose it's an observational role early on when, when we get to see the players I have a lot of conversations with Steve and, and and as a coaching group, we have conversations that go in, how do you think they are? How are the players? What kind of state are the players in? Do they need a little bit, you know, do they need some arousal? Do they need to just calm down a little bit? Um, it, it, those are the kind of things because we try and keep everything pretty constant, you know. One, one game, when you get these massive emotional highs and lows, it's not particularly healthy, Um so that's that's the that's the first thing, and then when we're out in the field for the warm up, I just do very very little. I try and use my voice just to make sure that everything's on time and everything's going to plan in terms of the warm up. That, and then after that, I'm just running messages. Um, so that that's it really. Chatting to Steve, chatting to the coaches. What do we need to reinforce? Is there anything we need to change? So that that's really my role. And I'm exhausted then after the game, and I do absolutely nothing to help anyone. I've <laughs> got my food and a, and a nice bottle of beer, and, that, and that's about it, you know? It feels that way on the terrace, but we haven't done anything to earn it whatsoever beforehand, apart from sink a few Guinness, so it's good. But I've just realised that if you're there, obviously kind of helping getting the guys motivated, one of the things I think is key is that we've got a selection of inspirational voices. If I try and wind people up with my Middle England voice, nobody cares. Welsh is automatically inspiring. You know, like if you just read a poem in Welsh and, you know, I'm crying and running through walls. And then you've got, you know, the Northern, you've got Sir Kevin, Steve shouting out in, you know, like gruff Northern. You're going to start fighting off the back of that. That's the secret. Just inspirational yeah. accents. That's what we need. Um, I'm going to ask Alan for you to, well, you won't throw anyone under the bus, but let's let's have a look at it from narrowing it down to strength and conditioning and, uh, and the fitness perspective. Who have you perhaps had to take on a longer journey, if that's the polite way of doing it. Has there been anyone who you've thought, oh, I've got to not crack the whip a bit harder, perhaps push a bit harder, and who's who's really come on and, and developed, you think, kind of that side of things and the, uh, whilst you've been at the club? That's a good question. It's a very, very tough question as well, because... Um... I'm thinking of it at school when somebody got sent for an extra lap around the pitch at the start, and then by the end of the season, they were winning, winning the race. Uh, not there isn't anyone to be honest with you and, and that's not me copying out of the question I suppose I don't know if you remember when Steve mentioned about this I think a few months ago a few weeks ago when first day of pre-season he had to ask a group to, to leave the field um, I also had a bit of a rant at that group earlier in that day um, but what we've had is probably a commitment from the guys just to go for it uh, if someone's fitter than others well obviously the least fit are probably going to accelerate their development a bit quicker than the most fit uh, on day one 
but it's yeah, it's actually hard to to pinpoint a player who's been more of a standout than than others because yeah, they're, they're pretty committed to to getting better, you know. So it's um yeah, that's. Can I be a politician after this? <laughs> that, we, we we were thinking like beforehand, but then you've put us to rights. We said, "I one of the front rows must get picked on, maybe because that's what it's like at you know Pisporian level where where I play at." But you've said that they love it; they really dive straight into it. Yeah, because because remember now, what 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 are we asking them to do? What we're asking the front rowers to do is totally different to what we're asking other positional groups. So, yeah. so someone. Someone in the front row, and if you're looking at some of the younger boys now, like like a James Whitcomb. James Whitcomb has has changed his body pretty drastically in the last eighteen months. So I, I I've seen visual. Is it visible or visual changes? We'll we'll, we'll go either with, way. Either it either way. works, I think. Better than audible changes. But but the main thing is not does he look good now in in Benidorm or wherever he goes on his family holiday is. Is he fit to do what he needs to do? Is he fit for purpose? And what we're going to ask James to do is to bloody scrummage multiple times. We're going to ask him then to maul. Then we're going to ask him to defend mauls. Then we're going to ask him to hit. Then we're going to ask him to carry. So what all those boys are doing, they're, they're getting incredibly fit to do what they need to do in a game. And I think that's where sometimes it's easy to look at certain players and go, yeah, but this guy's fat or this guy's slow or this guy's this. Look at what they've done just beforehand. Look at what they're about to do afterwards. Are they dominant in what they're doing? There, there, there's your answer. I think it's, sometimes we get we get caught a bit in going, he's not the right shape, is he? You know, so so that's, again, I might not be answering a question, but it's it's giving you an idea of how how we address what players need. And what they need to be bloody good at, and it's performance based as opposed to you know just a checkbox like it might be on appearance. I think it was exactly. Tom Waldron when he was at the club before. Richard Cockrell got asked, "Why don't you get him losing a few pounds? He's so great." He goes, "Why? He's he's hitting all the fitness markers. He's excelling at everything. That's just how he is, and he's he's brilliant like it. Why would you change it?" If it, if I asked you now, um, looking at how we play the game, what do you think is important? In our pack, oh. what characteristics do we need to train? What would you say? Well, about to make a tit of myself in front of the at a physical performance <laughs> lesson, but I'd say sort of explosivity and being able to repeat that for eighty minutes across the game. Yeah, exactly. So we oh, thank we, fuck for that. <laughs> we we need that. We need the greatest levels of that kind of repeatability. We need big men who are going to make it bloody hard for any team to take us on the set piece so the, the, those those are the factors that we look at then you know so that that's what we have to address I mean the, the, the levels of improvement that the squad has gone through over the last couple of years under your um, tutelage Alice has been fantastic and you know we really are chalk and cheese compared to where we were a couple of years ago and to be fair you know numerous players have shone during that time and have excelled under this, the new management team is there anyone that you're particularly proud of in terms of their development, both in terms of their rugby and the overall fitness and physical performance piece in that two years where you look at them maybe two years ago and you look at them now and you think, yeah, bloody yeah, we've, we've, you know, he's looking good and, you know, we're proud of what he's, you know, what we've all done together. Yeah, again, it's hard to pinpoint players. Um, what I would say though, again, younger guys will get a lot more, credit maybe because you see the likes of 
James Whitcomb, or you see the likes of um, Ollie Chesham, George Martin, those guys coming through and you're going, shit, you know, they're doing unbelievably well, which they are. But then don't forget about some of the older boys, some of like the, the, the Harry Wellses, the Callum Greens, the Dan Coles, who are also still developing, you know, and maybe the rate is slightly different because someone like a Coley, who's been around for so bloody long now, but getting those little percentage improvements in him again makes a substantial difference. So, yeah, it's hard. It's uh, genuinely this is not me trying to cop out of answer, answering or, or highlighting any player because I would. But there's everyone's tucking into it, you know, and um, so that that's probably the most pleasing thing. Big game on on Saturday, or well, two big games on Saturday. So we'll talk about one of them first. Talk about the Gloucester game. What are you getting the guys up for in particular, without giving anything away? What's been the focus this week looking at them? Oh, it's going to be a massive test, isn't it? I'm very probably, excited. Yeah, it's going to be probably one of our best, most exciting games of the season, to be fair. They're, they're, they're probably, I'd say, probably the form team in the Premiership at the moment, aren't they? You know, um, multiple threats across so many components of the game. There's, you know, they, 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 they can get you in so many different areas. So it's going to be a massive day for the forwards. It's going to be a massive day for the backs. It's going to be a massive day for us in in defence. It's dealing with their kicking game. You know, it, it's going to be a proper test, isn't it? And that that's that's what we're excited about. That's what I'm excited about. Um, so yeah, it's yeah, we're 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 anticipating um, something that's going to be pretty difficult. And when you think as well. I'd say they're relatively unaffected by international call-ups. Um, I'm not sure. It's probably Lewis Rees-Amit, Chris Harris. Um, Mark Atkinson's obviously come back to them now as yeah. well. They had a bye week last week. Yeah, which... you're getting a few of those. I've noticed yeah. that I think it was Northampton had one. And then yeah. I think we've got Saracens are going to be off the back of a bye week as well. Premiership ah. rugby resting all, all our opponents for us. Yeah, but that's that's the beauty of the challenge, isn't it? That, that's what makes it makes it interesting. So, no, I, I I would imagine that Gloucester, you'll see them bouncing onto, on on onto Matthew Woods, Welford Road on Saturday. They they'll they'll be bouncing out there, and they'll be, I'd imagine they'll be pretty confident that they can take 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 the first scalp at, at home this year, anyway. And obviously, the focus is very much on Gloucester. The other big game, of course. Quite a big game. Some of the boys are involved in a wave England against Wales. Is there any chat whatsoever going on on the pitch at the moment? Nothing, nothing whatsoever. Everyone's too nervous, that's why. Because yeah. it never goes the way you think it's going to go. And no. I'm confident and I'll be shitting it on Friday night. Nobody yeah. wants to kind of put their money anywhere. What's What are your thoughts on where, where's that game going to go, though? I've absolutely no idea. You know, you, you would expect, you'd expect England to win. But then Wales have got this brilliant habit of just annoying ex- habit. Yeah, <laughs> brilliantly annoying habit of of turning up when you least expect it. But like it, it just shows, doesn't it? The Wales England fixture is always special. Um, so there could be forty points between them, or it could be absolutely nothing between them. You, you just don't know, do you? They've been they've been that wide. The the the, the margins have been so vast. And so narrow, I think it's very, very hard to predict anyway. You'll be coming in in the Welsh training top instead of the Tigers one on Monday if things go well. No, no, no. I'm, I'm, I'm actually quite torn, you know, because obviously I want Wales to win. But then my investment is in 
the likes of Ellis, um, you know, the, the, the boys, uh, hopefully Lenny gets to break Jason Leonard's cap record. Yeah. Hopefully Jez gets another run. Freddie's at the back. George is at, George is at 10. You know, who am I missing there? Hazy. Joey Hayes. You know, so Joey Hayes could be playing as well. So because I've uh, an emotional investment in those guys, I want to see those guys go well. So a narrow into Wales with... Um, some like Joe Hayes being man of the match. <laughs> that's all you ask yeah. for. That's all you. I ask think for. that's a pretty fair deal. I've got to be honest. I mean, as a side point, Hayes' performance at the weekend was unbelievable. To go full eighty minutes like that and yeah. still late on destroying opposition awesome. scrums is absolutely immense. Yeah, but but it's credit to him. You know, it's um, he he puts a lot of time. He he put takes a lot of pride in his physical ability, in in his capacities and his capabilities. So it's really pleasing and. He looked strong as well on 80 minutes on full time. You know, I, I think he wanted, I think he wanted extra time. Um, <laughs> that, that's ma- massive credit to him. He, he's got a real appetite, and he, he's at that stage now as well, isn't he? I think he's he's about about to break through, and um, you know, he, he he wants to slam that door down, then slam the walls around it as well. Anyway, so fair play to him. Alan, that's fantastic. Thanks so much for coming on and talking to us. You've been a star. Best of luck on uh, Saturday. Cheers, Alan. But for the Tigers game. For the Tigers game. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Thank you very much. All right, let's take the plunge on this one. Elliot, you were confident. Nay. An arrogant Tigers fan, typical arrogant Tigers fan. Yeah, Billy Big Dick. Billy, well, well, <laughs> isn't it usually Billy Big Balls? Why do you choose the, why do you choose the sausage element? Irony. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, so no more. Uh, uh, anyway, you were looking for a comfy win beforehand. I very wisely was perhaps much more cautious, but to be honest, I still had us to win by ten, so I can't really claim that I was that much more enlightened. But look. First win for 11 years at the records, we said earlier, tight 24-20 win. I think you've got to be happy with that, haven't you? Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a funny one. A win and a way win, especially at this type of time of the season, is obviously something you've got to be pleased about. And I think there's a couple of really pleasing elements for me. It's just really stepped up if you look at the likes of Whitcomb, Hayes, JVP, Dan Kelly. You know, four lads there have really brought their A game now and to the point where you know Joe Hayes looks every much an international who's very harshly uh, uh, not involved at that level and Dan Agreed. Kelly looks uh, an England 12 you know if you, if you were to say if you weren't to be aware of the sort of context of it and you looked at Dan Kelly's performance you'd be looking at going why is he here and he, why is he not playing for England because I think he was absolutely superb again so I think that's you know really positive signs especially as we go towards the end of the season and then finding a way for a young squad to, to you know to get given a problem, get given a you know an issue and a challenge, the fact that from what Borfrick said after the game that they pretty much worked a way through and found a, a way to win and came out second half and put it right and and to actually win the second half ten nil. I think that's a um, a really pleasing thing. Of you know, it's one thing to actually win, but when you've come from behind, you found a way to negate it and change your game plan accordingly. I think that's really impressive. Yeah, I think we'll come on to it later. The thing is with Bath is that. They're not a bad side, certainly not on paper. They've just woefully underperformed. So there was always going to be the likelihood that they might pick up a game and they might start to get a bit of confidence. They might start to click. 
I like your comments about some of the young guys stepping up as well, because I, I'm forming in my head this thing called the 8 out of 10 club, which are okay. guys who never put in less than 8 out of 10 performances. And those are the guys who really sustain you throughout the season. Hanro yes. Lieberberg is captain 8 out of 10. Yes, he yeah. is. He is sort of the, the archetypal 8 out of 10 man. I think he's joined by Jasper Visa now. And I think he's joined by Dan Kelly, who... I think it's just unfailingly excellent, particularly, I think, since the turn of the year. He's been absolutely superb. So that is really, really exciting. We'll we'll come across, we'll go and give credit and even a mild bit of critique where necessary throughout the game. But I think going into that game and how it transpired, I think we need to extend Bath a bit of credit rather than slagging us off for not kind of running away with it because that's what the table said. Firstly, the conditions are always going to be a leveller. It wasn't dreadful, but it was wet, was windy, it was unpredictable. We don't have a huge amount of combinations out there. I know they're missing guys as well. But I thought that Bath played pretty well and they showed something they hadn't shown in previous games. And I think you've got to give credit. Your point just very quickly on Kelly as well, looking like an England 12. People say that, you know, where are the young English 12s coming through? I thought you had two of them on show in the Bath game. I think Max Ajomo is a cracking player as well um, and had some really good moments. And the battle with Kelly, I think Kelly came out on top, but I think that Ajomo was one of their best players and it's... Very exciting. You know, you want to get those guys blooded, really, rather than relying on Manu, although, God, I hope he's fit for the Welsh game. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> um, well, look, we, we started, actually, overall pretty well with the first sort of 20 minutes in particular, but there were some good carries by Kelly, Martin and Potter and smart kicking from Nemanja. Actually, he's perfecting this little drop onto the left boot and kicking in field when he's running out of space. Really such a classic player, such an absolute monster of a man. And then there's that gorgeous pass by Freddie Burns, which sort of sets us up in position towards that right-hand corner. Culminates in uh, Jasper riding a tackle and then accelerating over. And as I said before, yet another 8 out of 10 performance from Jasper. He's developing a real consistency and all-round game, isn't he? Absolutely. And he, once he's stripped away all the sort of the negative stuff that, that is associated with him, and he's just concentrating on what he's known for, you're seeing the best of him. And it's almost as if someone said to him, you know, you can hurt people legally. You know, you don't have to break break the laws of the <laughs> game. And I think that's now what you see, where you're seeing really big carries. You're seeing really dy- dynamic um, work across the pitch, both in attack and defence as well, which is something we don't normally credit him with. His breakdown work, I think, is superb. And what I saw and what I liked about um, Jasper at the weekend was, you know, when you get onto the try line like that, you can almost get a bit of like try line fever and you can, you rush or you, you try and dive for the line when it's not there and you can get yourself isolated and you turn the ball over. How he took his try was exactly how it should be. Of You know, you spot the opportunity at the right time, you go for it and you use that power to bounce through a couple of tackles to get there. And I think what you're seeing with Jasper now is, so finally it sort of clicked in his brain that, you know, you, you, to ditch the negative stuff. And what you're seeing is a, an all action eight and delivering all that good stuff which we know he's capable of and without any of the negative connotations. And, you know, I think he is aware now that potentially he is reffed a little bit differently. Uh, we saw it potentially with the TMO getting involved. He was, he showed a bit of desperation to, to get him involved. Oh, it yeah. A, it quite clearly, you know, are coming together. If you were, if you were so minded, you'd might say it was a tackle. Yeah, it was, it was Hughes. Hughes 
kind of exactly rushing up to meet him. It wasn't Jasper seeking him you out. It's just it just so happened. It's just so, it just so happened that Visa absolutely clattered him in the contact between them. So I'm glad they came to the right decision on that. I think that you made a really good point on Jasper, though, in terms of how he's improving his game. I think the Radio uh, Leicester Tigers rugby show, Adam Whitty, Chris, uh, Chris Edgerton, good friends of the pod, they had the interview with Jasper and he was talking about how he has consciously focused on his discipline, improving his tackle technique, his ruck entry. So it's really refreshing to see that he's absorbing that as opposed to thinking to himself, no, I just want to hurt people, bro. Don't take away my spot. That's a dreadful South African accent and not intending to be an accurate impression. But, you know, that is kind of how I think some players who have that fire and have that aggression would take it, said, no, that's my game. Like, you know, love it or leave it. But he's yeah. actively looking to improve. It's really good. I'm so glad he didn't go too much further with the point on his try because I'd written something I thought was quite clever with it and I thought you were about to steal my point. But in terms of that bounce, what I think is a difference is before, as you said, he would just, I think he'd go motoring straight through full tilt. He wouldn't slow down at all. He'd just try and blast through people. And actually with that, he runs at three Bath defenders. They'd have used his momentum against him and he might've made a couple of yards, but he'd have gone down. With this, as he's going in, he can see the contact coming and he actually steps off, absorbs that contact and then rolls rather than just trying to plough straight and then rolls off and scores. It was really smart bit of contact play. And he's got such good acceleration. For me, I think the acceleration he has is perhaps the most underrated part of his game. Agreed. And I think ever since he's come back from the suspension, I think he's probably been one of our most consistent players. You know, if you look at the um, the games he's had, even when we lost away at, at Sale, I thought it was one of our more impressive players on the Absolutely. park that, yeah. that afternoon. And like you say, you've, last year, I thought, you know, and we both thought, and quite a lot of us have, have said the same, is that Hanro was Mr. Consistency, but went under the radar, whilst Visa got all the headlines for doing some of the showy stuff. Well, actually, this season, what you're seeing is exactly what you've mentioned there, where Visa's actually doing all of the stuff that we're associating with, but he's doing it so consistently and across the you know, full 80 minutes. He's now joined that eight out of 10 club where you go, you know what? And it got mentioned in commentary on the weekend, you know, when you're in the Six Nations period, you need your bigger players to step up and step up consistently over that seven, eight, nine week process. Feast is doing that. And he very much looks like an international now who looks, he looks more well-rounded. He's looked properly, as far as he's learned the game and he's took on board all the stuff that's come with him. And he looks a much better player than what he was 18 months ago. And, you know, the exciting thing is, again, he's still only 26, 27. So there is still more growth in him to come. Absolutely. Good latch as well. Got to give credit to Francois Van Fijk, uh on that try as well, yep. because he helps force uh, Visa over. So really good play all round. So it was a good start. But I don't know, even in those opening phases, I don't know, it felt like there was a little bit of zip missing perhaps from our attacking play. I thought that might be partly due to Wigglesworth delivery not being quite as snappy as usual. There's a bit of hesitation there, I thought. Um, he then botches a box kick on an exit, and that puts us under real pressure. And then we didn't double down on that mistake. We leave the backfield wide open. And it was a lovely kick from uh, Spencer to Muir to chase. Uh, to be honest, Muir's a great player to watch. He's like a manic giraffe as he runs. Yes. He's, I, I, know, I think they call him the horse, but for me, he's sort of more like some sort of camel. Wow, yeah. I mean, you don't get that in that. You don't get this sort of analysis in the mainstream media. This is no. why people come to us. Yeah, he's like a, he's like a camel on speed or something when he's running. It's pretty impressive. But either way, he's a great player to watch. But he gives him an immediate response, and I thought that that perhaps 
whole situation just signified a little bit of a lack of composure, a little bit of a lack of concentration, a little bit of lack of snap that I thought that we might have had and I thought was perhaps signified with some of our attacking play, which looked a little bit lethargic. Do, do you think that was just a case of individual mistakes or do you think we collectively switched off then? I mean, that's a soft try. You know, when you, when yeah. you do your morning uh, review sessions, for me, the surprising point was there's no one at home. You know, if Potter's come up into the line, my gut, you know, from my basic understanding of these sort of things, you'd have thought the fullback has gone across the cover to allow Potter to come up. You know, if Potter's hanging back, you don't need to because Potter's covering it. But, you know, so when the kick goes through and there's no one at home, you end up going, well, who's there? So it, it almost goes, well, is there a communication thing? Is that a, in, you know, you know, a, a, an organisation point? So I'm interested to see how they go about that because, you know, we'll, we'll talk about it as well for the, the, the second bath try. Yeah. Similar, similar sort of vibe, you know, where it's just ball comes out, one kick through, chase it, pots it down. You go, well, there's no one at home again. You go, come on why have we got ourselves in that position? You know, someone has to surely take charge and go, you know what, I'll take back. And I think second half we adjusted and I think JVP, both in open field and, and a bit more. He did some sweeping, didn't he? Yeah. He did went well, back into the sweeper role. Well, I, I'll ask it now then, because I was going to save it till after that second try, but I think it was actually on three occasions, one of them didn't lead to a try, where they found space in that gap between our front line and the fullback, or they found space where no one was at home. And, that looked to me to be either a communication issue. But I don't know. I've not noticed it because it hasn't been exploited before. Do you think no. that this was an issue perhaps Bath picked up on and said we could exploit it? Or do you think it was just on the hoof on the day, we were just not switched on? I think the second one, because I think with how blustery it is, I suspect Hegarty took the decision. It's, you know, it's easier to come forward and run back. So yeah. I'm going to drop myself a little bit deeper because if it does get hang, hung up in the wind... I can run forward and I can, I'll back myself to leap into the ball and take it, or if nothing else, be a nuisance to disrupt Bath if they, if they do it. In that instance where there's a gap between the kicker and Hegarty, I don't mind him giving that away as such because, you know, you can make yourself a bit of a tit. If you're 10 metres forwards and you get yourself caught out like that, you're in, you, you, you leave yourself open for chaos. My concern is more about no one being at home because... You can fix the second one or, you know, he's trying to do the right things with the second one. And I think Bath had got enough nows about them with Spencer, Ajomo and uh, Bailey at 10 to be able to exploit that because they're talented, talented players. They can spot the opportunities. Mike, you know, the real concern is having no one at home because that to me shows that's a more deeper issue because you've got ourselves caught out positionally twice in terms of... You and experienced players should be spotting In that. my book, yeah, fundamentally... In my mind, you should have someone covering to be able to do it. And twice we were exposed. Mm. Well, I mean, in fairness to us, we did bounce back pretty quickly from that. I think that previous iterations of this side would might have been a bit shaken by that at home. Bath crowd, nothing if not loyal, uh, sat out there in the open stands getting pissed on by the elements. Uh, well, hopefully by the elements. But the it was pretty good to see us bounce straight back. And we raised the in- intensity and it seemed to give us a bit of a kick. Uh, we started to dominate territory. I thought Freddie kicked really nicely in that respect. And then again, it's the Kelly and Porter show to put Wigglesworth away for a score to make it 12-5. Now, that was off a Guy Porter turnover too. Last week, we talked about how good it is to see all our centres are back like Namani's good at it too, contributing to turnovers, really good at the breakdown. Um, 
I'm going to talk. I mean, it's good finish, good support line by Wilsworth, but I want to talk about the centre partnership, the partnership, not just the individual players that's developing between Kelly and Porter. Because uh, I don't think we've had this consist- consistency in centre selection for a number of years. They've started quite a few games together now. But that little relationship there is building quite nicely, isn't it? It is. I think that is that three, four games in a row now. It might be four. I think it's three. Yeah. Certainly it's, three. Um, it's certainly a really blossoming um, partnership. And like you say, it's, it's been given an opportunity to, to, to formulate. And to be fair, you know, it's going well when a class player like Scott is on the bench um, not yeah. getting a shot. So I think that tells you how it's going. I think you mentioned it in pre-season that you've wanted to see this combination because you thought it, it suited their, you know, the strengths of witnesses, you know, blended quite nicely. And I think we're starting to see that a little bit where you've got, you know, they balance each other quite nicely in, in the way that all good centre partnerships do. And you, you, I think you're starting to see where it's starting to come in that in it um, to the fore a little bit because you've got two young lads who are really, really intelligent, strong in defence, strong in attack and really clever and a bit of guile about them. So, you know, one, a really good line from from Porter and to draw his man and pop it away for Wigglesworth for the pass. You know, later on in the first half, a gorgeous line off 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 Faye's ball and he's, he's sliced the defence open. And it shows you that actually you don't need crash bang wallop in the centres at times to get through a defensive line. If you've got two intelligent blokes, you can you can spot a Well, he's powerful enough. He's not he's not all crash bang wallop, but he's powerful enough to shake a half tackle, I think, isn't it? He's yes. just got the yes. right amount of speed of goal. What, what I really liked about that, firstly, great from Kelly again. He sort of drifts. Lovely hands, isn't it? Lovely hands, isn't it? Because the offload is something we've know he's got in him, but we don't see it all that often. But he's straightened, which is really good to see. And what I really liked in particular was this reading between the two of them because the call was for it to go wide, but it wasn't on. I think it was technically a four on three, but then the sweeper for Bath would have come up and taken the extra man. So there wasn't anything there. So Kelly spots his opposite number, perhaps drifting a fraction too early. So he steps inside, gets his answer, and it's a lovely offload. But if you watch Porter, his move is to sort of keep drifting wide because that's where the ball's going. But when he sees Kelly do that, he reacts instantly and he cuts in and gets on his shoulder. So all Kelly has to do is not fling an offload. He just has to pop the ball up. And it's that sort of out in line. And I hate to say it because you mentioned it before, and I don't like saying you're right. You mentioned Ollie Smith comparisons. That is an Ollie Smith line right there, out in, beating the man before he's got the ball, effectively. He's run out to in. His marker has, hasn't has reacted as quickly as Porter has. He's gone out to in. He's hunted for the offload and then good support line by Wigglesworth as well. I thought just that little moment between the two of them has got me more excited, I think, about a centre relationship than I can remember for quite a long time. No, definitely. it's. I think Freddie's distribution is coming to the fore and it's bringing the best out of the two lads in the centres. And when you've got two guys who are as, as bang on form as those two are, I think having a, a fly half who's prepared to, you know, take it to line and, and back himself and, you know, use his backs to try and get the best of them. You're starting to see that because they actually can, they've got the skills to formulate that and, and to go with it. So you look at those two boys now and it's, you know, it's only really probably a kicking game that they need to, to, to say actually, they're really all round centres because at the moment they're they're bang on form and it's really starting to show. And we've got him in the we've got him during the Six Nations period. And you know, we saw it last year with Freddie Stewart in this period where it, he really stepped up and he really came to the fore. This year it's Dan Kelly's turn and blimey, it, it's it's nice to see, isn't it? He looks like a leader as well out there. He's talking to his backs all the time. He's 
giving people kicks up the arse when they need to. He's not afraid to give people a piece of his mind, but he's encouraging all the time as well. Really good leadership to see. with that kick, leadership with that kick chase as well. I mean, when he was on his Ooh. own, and he's <laughs> what a fucking hit that was. I mean, I love it how it's the one man up. And who was it? Was it De Glanville? Was like, oh, I'll take him on. And he gets absolutely clattered. Beautiful hit that was. But look, I thought we looked pretty comfy for that first 20 minutes. I mean, we, we coughed up we a did. few chances due to penalties and the like. It was a bit frustrating, but I had the feeling that we're going to run away with this shortly. And we're definitely in charge. And then they go down to 14 men as well because Muir takes out Potter in the air. Um, nothing malicious about it. Yellow card, fair call. We then have a pretty shambolic 10 minutes or so, although massive credit to Bath's execution in all fairness. They didn't have too many chances, but when they got there, they they took them in the first half. So we're a man up, but we can aspire to give away repeated penalties. I mean, the one against Dan Kelly for not rolling away was utter dog shit. It was just vintage Carl Dixon. But a Jomo pounces after a lovely clip through by Joseph. Again, there's no sweeper cover. Uh, then Bayliss scores an absolute perler, to be fair. I mean, Freddie Burns has probably got to be fined, hasn't he? Because he gets absolutely done like a kipper by a lock. Or, well, a, a back row. A tall, ragey bloke who should not be stepping with Freddie Burns. But again, field position was given them by too big a space in the backfield that they managed to kick into and then they regather it and exploit it was really frustrating. It was a bit of a crap 10, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, at 12-5 up... And a man When up. you're away... From, 12-5 up, a man up, you're away from home, you've silenced the crowd at that point. You know, you've done what you're supposed to be doing in the first 20 minutes by taking the crowd out of it. You've got, you know, you've got control. At that point, all you do is just effectively be accurate in what you're doing Get, keep the control, keep the vice-like grip on the game. And even if it's just keeping kicking three-pointers, by working yourself in the position and just, you know, knock a three-pointer over, 15-5, get yourself in the position, knock one over, 18-5. By doing that, you're just taking the, you're just strangling the game and you completely take the life out of Bath. And you can go in at half-time, you know, 18-5 up, whatever. That's a really comfortable position. For some reason, we took our completely lost our minds a little bit and we just really lost our focus. And, you know, the three buzzwords, which I do harp on about, but it is a really good sort of temperature check of seeing where we are as a team, intensity, accuracy, discipline against Northampton last week. I think we were for 60 minutes, really strong in all three of those areas. In the last 20 minutes, we probably went down to two of the three and that's why it sort of dropped off a little bit. I think in that sort of last 20 minutes of the first half, against Bath, I don't think we had any of those three sort of bullet points or buzzwords, whatever you want to say. I don't think we had our intensity right. I don't think we were accurate at all. I thought we were highly ill-disciplined, even allowing for Carl Dixon's... Yeah, so, some goals. of them were bang on and just stupidity bias or laziness, I thought. Yeah, I mean, you know, it is a bit of a wheel of fortune with Dixon, we know, but we can control our accuracy. We can control missed passes and, and how we do about things. You know, and we conceded so much on those three bullet points in that. So it was no surprise if you can't get one of them, let alone three, a team like Bath, they are going to, you know, they've got the talent on the pitch to, to come and cause us some trouble. And it was, I'm pretty glad that halftime came, to be honest, because it was a pretty good opportunity for us to reset and and, and get our heads together. Yeah, absolutely. Because that last 10, to be honest, we did start to dominate again. That last 10 of the first half, we got well on top, but we couldn't finish a Sunday roast, could we? It was just mistake after mistake you know you'd have a good carry by visa followed by somebody not looking after it in the ruck and kicking it out loose ball turnover you'd have a good break by porter knock on in contacts turnover 
You then have another good carry by, oh, God knows who it might be, Kelly. Uh, but then there'd be a penalty, somebody sealing off. And it was every single time. The mall wasn't quite firing either. And I agree with you. Halftime seemed to come at exactly the right time. It, for me, I, I didn't quite buy into a lot of people. On, I saw people say on a second watch, they calmed down a little bit because I saw a lot of people saying it was crap. I didn't think we were a million miles off clicking and really blowing them away. It's just really small individual errors, lack of accuracy that cost us. And at this level, it does cost you quite dearly, like it did in the first half here. One thing I noticed was that compared to how prominent he was against Northampton, we really struggled to get Namani properly involved in the game. He seemed to come off his wing a lot less as well. I think he stayed wider. I also got a good credit to Tom DeGlanville for a hell of a tackle on him. What a one. it just? I mean... Bra- that's bravery award. I think well, it's like it's not just brave. Possible. It was like somebody said, design the perfect tackle on a guy who is three times the size, who looks like he's eaten another human being en route. And he just so low, heads the right side, grab. Close your eyes. <laughs> Close yeah, your yeah. eyes to yeah. hope. Yeah. Love you, mum. He just goes straight. It was really good. <laughs> but he was really, really good to see um, uh, that by Tom McGlavel, to be fair. Really good tackle. But. Why do you think Nemani sort of stayed wider this time around? Do you think it was just the opportunities weren't there or do you think that was a strategy to try and stretch Buff's defence? I think there might have been a strategy behind it, but I think we were so staccato in how we were playing. Like you just mentioned, you do one or two good bits of play, make a mistake. One or two good bits of play, make a mistake. We were so staccato, we, you know, we couldn't go through a phase game. Whereas if you look at how we played against Northampton, you go through three or four phases and it allows you the opportunity to bring someone like Namani off his wing, spot a line and make an opportunity with it. Because we were so, as I say, so staccato, he ends up having to be wide a lot more. And we could never get any fluency in the game, I think, for him to come inside and, and do that. So I think it's probably a combination of, of different things, really. But we were so disjointed in that 20 to 40 minute mark it's hard to say, Namali, get yourself involved. Because even when he did get himself involved a couple of times, you know, he was he was guilty of a knock-on in contact, or you know, he gave a ball away. That fundamentally is the tail off that 20 minutes when quite a lot of people were guilty of making silly errors, and it just stopped all momentum in its tracks, including trying to get your strike runners like Namani involved. So we're 2014 down going into half time. Weirdly, one thing I noticed about this was I think this was a game which highlighted how much we miss Callum Green when he's not playing because we had Snayman playing who's a big athletic lump although I thought actually physically he was pretty well matched by Bath they seemed to line him up and second half he got a bit more joy out of them but otherwise in the first half he got monstered a few times Callum Green is very unflashy but the accuracy of our ruck and clear outs was a little bit off and I noticed Snayman miss a couple of clear outs he comes flying in all blood and thunder but he doesn't get his angle quite right and he sort of bounces off somebody you know, because these guys at Bath, they're good over the ball. Green very rarely misses a clear out. It's not very sexy. He's not going to get player of the month for it. But a bit like when Coley's playing, you notice when he's not there because he's not doing those nuts and bolts. How, just how important is it to have those guys? Yeah, I think that's a, a really good point. It's, it, it's a unnoticed point as well, where actually when you think about it, Coley and, and Greeno are probably our two best acts clearing out our rucks. You know, you know, you mentioned about the ruck speed against Northampton was so good. Well, Cole and Greeny are, are on the pitch yeah. doing all that hard work for, you know, the lads like Namani and, and Visa to cause havoc. So you take them off the pitch, like you said, it does show you the areas where, you know, other players aren't as strong in that area. So 
it causes you know it causes an issue so you no know, unflashy stuff is fundamental to to allow the flashy stuff later later on down the line well let's move away from the dirty stuff and look at the sparkling balls of three guys we bring on early doors in the second half bring on hanro we bring on jvp we bring on james whitcomb i thought all three of those guys had a really really noticeable impact it is really good to see. I think the last game against Northampton, we actually lost quite a lot of momentum and we sort of started stagnating a little bit in that game. That's it. This one, there's a notable uptick. Let's not say anyone who they replaced had bad games. Don't think so at all. I thought Martin actually had a really solid game. But there was definitely an upping of intensity when those guys came on, wasn't there? A hundred percent. I think what was impressive with Whitcomb is, is, is how he's he's progressing so nicely in terms of he comes on the pitch and suddenly you're not looking at, you know, 21 year old James Whitcomb, you're looking at James Whitcomb premiership level. And he is, you just notice it where, you know, the fundamentals of the game of, of being a prop, he's doing it. He's strong carrying clear out works good, you know, scrummaging's tight, you know, he's got such a well-rounded game now and he came on and it had an impact. And it's the same with JVP where in the first half, I thought we were quite frenetic. And I think some of the causes of some of the um, the errors, I was trying almost trying to force things and play at too high a tempo. We're actually taking it a little bit back and say, play at a good tempo, but be accurate. You have a more, a better impact. He had it. a really mature thought, game when he came on, didn't did. he? He actually out Wigglesworth, Wigglesworth. Yeah. yeah. He kicked better than Wigglesworth, I thought. Um, and I thought his, you know, mopping up loose balls, sweeping was really good. Just on Wickham quickly. So, loose head, James Wickham, 21. Tight head, Joe Hayes, 22. Yes, okay, they've got, you know, Captain Argentina in between them uh, at hooker. But those two props, and they're there largely monstering that buff scrum for large portions of that second half. How fucking exciting is that? Huge. It is huge. Like, it's why I tweeted about it after the game, because that was the, the main takeaway for the game. Was that, you know, these two young lads... At 21 and 22, aren't hitting their prime in, in the front row stakes for another six or seven years. You know, late 20s are when you really come into your own as a prop, if not a bit later. And yet here they are, absolutely monstering their opposite numbers. And you go, Will Stewart must have some fucking great photos of Eddie Jones for him to be starting over Joe Hayes because, oh my Hayes, is unbelievable. Like the work that Joe Hayes does for 80 minutes in that game is brilliant. And 80 minute so shift as well, wasn't it? I, I feel sorry for Will Hurd not coming on, but it would have been a big shout to take Hayes off because he was Hayes dominant. Was in a move, like, he was in a moment, weren't he? He'd got the dip between his teeth. And I think maybe the hurt of not um, being picked for England, I think Borthwick picked up on that and just let him loose for 80 minutes. Just to on Will what... Stewart's patch as well. <laughs> yeah, I mean, let him... Will let Stewart's him coming back around. to find a turd in his locker when he comes back, laid by the performance of Joe Hayes. That was absolutely yeah. superb. Just quickly on Joe Hayes' scrummaging, he gets in such a strong position. He looks like a power lifter. I talked yep. about, again, I am not a scrummager, I don't know, but I, my ass from my elbow when it comes to propping, despite my appearance. <laughs> if you look at these guys, when Joe Hayes is in there, he's back, it's straight. You could quite happily sit there and have a three-course dinner on his back whilst he's there. It's absolutely fantastic. His development in that area is huge, and obviously that's going to be a big part down to Coley and guys like that. And then on the loose head side, James Whitcomb, I'd say his position doesn't look particularly great or strong compared to someone like Joe Hayes. Maybe there's a difference between loose head and tie head that I'm not quite getting. But he's still got quite a rounded back. But that's quite exciting because he's still causing people a lot of problems. 
but it still means that he's got so much more growth and so much more sort of like tweaking to do that, you know, the pair of them could become a real dominant force going forward. And you just got to hope that we can hang on to them and develop it. But anyway, look, that's hopefully we'll see more of them as the season goes on because that is potentially very exciting to see them really come through this year. By the way, that the scrum became pretty important to helping us see out the game, wasn't it? It was pretty critical in the end. And it was actually the big boys were key to giving Burns the space to dart over for what ended up being a critical try. Lovely to see him thump the badge as he dived over on his old stomping ground, wasn't it? Yeah, he knows where it's at. He knows he knows East Midlands is his uh, true home. Yeah. Uh, I thought it was a lovely try, to be fair, because you mentioned about the work that Pac did. An awesome platform just to set yourself up for on that because... You Penalty know, advantage quick, as well, wasn't it? Yeah, They quickly worked out that the, the, they'd got the bath pack on on uh, on skates at that point at scrum time. And it's a pretty good platform to launch Visa out to JVP. You know, and again, you look at Namani, you probably go, you know, on Saturday afternoon, you go, probably didn't have his great game. He probably, you know, he lost a few balls in, in, in carriers and stuff like that. You probably look and go, well, what was the point of having him? That run alone is why you have Namani <laughs> because three Bath defenders are so heavily shitting themselves over Namani. All Freddie's got to do is, it, to be fair, it's a very difficult skill, this, and it's not easy. And Freddie makes it look beautifully easy. But Freddie gets the space, starts through without a hand on him over the line. And you go, that doesn't happen with any other winger, I don't think, other than Namani, because the whole back line are so shitting themselves about that ball going to Namani that they all could tighten in. And it allows Freddie to... He's like a gravitational anomaly, isn't he? Like, if you watch Interstellar and they see, you know, these superstructures that kind of, like, suck everything in, and effectively there's Namani, and you see these three Bath defenders just kind of, like, go swamping towards him, and it it even... Or even hesitating, just watching, oh, God, I better not drift off him just yet. And by the time they do, it's too late. And Burns, just really nice, like you say, just classy, subtle bit of play. He's got the ball in two hands, just looking, keeps the wide defender wide. There's the gap, darts over, try. And like you say, I think he wasn't treated especially well at Bath. I'm not saying he was treated brilliantly at the end of his time at Leicester as well, to be honest. But he knows that the fans love him here and he's been fantastic last week games. Just very quickly on Freddie, a really mature performance again. It wasn't a game for doing the flashy stuff that we saw last week. It was a game for doing the nuts and bolts. And I thought, again, territory, by and large, we dominated. And I think that was thanks to him. Yeah, it, it, I know I can get accused that of being a bit of a Freddie fanboy at times. But it, uh, the reason why I was so excited about Freddie coming back is because for a second choice 10, he's so good. Because you know he's capable of having performances like that in him. And we are, I think we're benefiting from having someone like Freddie in a key position like this, whilst George Ford is away. And he's, you know, he's producing performances for a team that's top of the table. And like you say, it's an all-round, well-mature performance at 10. And he's doing his nuts and bolts. He's doing his creativity. I think you sometimes his, his pace gets overlooked at times for all of his, you know, his, his tricks and kicks. and Yeah, his top-end pace isn't, isn't special, but he's got a lovely, subtle change of pace, hasn't he? Yeah, and we saw it last week against Saints, a couple of breaks he made. Same again with a try here. You know, that pass up to Hegarty in the first half. You know, what we're seeing is a really nice 10, getting a bit of game time, getting his rhythm, and he's starting to really look at home in the shirt. And, you know, obviously, Ford is going to come back and is he going to be first choice? Yeah, probably. But it's not quite as a slam dunk decision as, as maybe it would have been, you know, a few weeks ago. 
you know, even if Ford does walk straight back into the tension, like I expect he will do, and probably like he should, to be honest, how reassuring is it to know that you've got Freddie Burns itching to get off and make a difference off the bench and, and he's in form? I think that's a big thing. When Before Freddie's perhaps still been finding his feet, you bring him on, not quite sure what you're going to get. I think you know now that you're going to get quality and that's really exciting. Yeah. He actually then goes off for an HIA after making a critical, really good tackle on uh, Muir as well. Uh, he was probably their most dangerous player. Um, and fair play to Hegarty as well, because I questioned his ability as a sole 10, but I thought he was really solid when he stepped in there, knocked over a key three points for us, puts us four points up, 24-20, that's how it remains. Now, there's then some cracking defence and we give away some penalties. But again, Dixon is falling for Nathan Hughes's trick, and it is the least subtle trick in the book, perhaps because Nathan Hughes is the least subtle man in the world. But he does this thing where he gets tackled, the tackler's rolling away and Hughes sort of crawls over the tackler and then flops and lies on him. And <laughs> You're not getting Nathan Hughes off you. And he makes it look like the guy's not rolling away when he was. And actually, if anything, you could probably do Hughes for crawling or second movement on the floor. I think actually it was Rafael who ended up, or Kelly who ended up pointing this out to Dixon. And he only picked up on it the last 10 minutes and he gave Hughes a warning and told him to stop doing it. But we get game penalised for it. It's fucking infuriating. But the defence was starting to creep. I think one thing with Hegarty at 10, I think that actually some of the distancing, the alignment between them sort of didn't quite work at one point. Hegarty and Kelly both bit in on the same pod and that meant Porter had to step in and that meant the ball got on the outside. That's actually, I think, what um, you know led to them getting down into our corner, really. But then more defence. I'm going to talk about more defence instead of moaning about Dixon because I could moan about him quite a lot. But the more defence, I think, was absolutely key. For, in fairness, for both sides, it was good. But obviously, at our point, we're on our own line. It's about 12 minutes to go. Getting a little bit nervous, getting a little bit squeaky bum. And I think this is the kind of game like Wells and Green, who are professional dickheads in the line-out, really come to the fore. Ball turned over, Spencer screaming like a banshee, whilst, you know, Dixon made the correct decision. That was quite disappointing to see. But how critical was that more defence and how important are those, as I politely coined it, professional dickheads? Yeah, I mean, Bath's ball defence, I think, was so good because I think Dixon allowed them to get away with some fairly unscrupulous behaviour. But um, but what, you know... Yeah, we're so unbiased with our analysis, aren't we? We doing more defence. Well, Great play, brave heroes. And the, absolutely, it's Bath doing insidious, cheating filth. <laughs> yes. I mean, yeah, yeah, completely. You know, this is a very much a one-eyed podcast. But no, in all fairness, you look at Wells and Green, Professional dickheads is probably the uh, right way of doing it because they're just so awkward. You know, they know just, they stay just about on the right side of legality, occasionally trip over and hence why we do give away a few penalties in that um, coffin corner. But I think that's part of a mall defence is knowing when to give a penalty away. If you know it's, you've lost a battle per se, that you need to give a penalty away to stop the momentum. Well, that's what you have to, sometimes it's what you've got to do and you, you test the referee's patience before he, he starts giving you warnings. You know, on the third or fourth try, we get a, a shot a shot to turn it over legally or to disrupt it legally. We take it and we turn it over. And, you know, part of our Tigers winning teams of the past always knew when to give away a penalty and always knew when not to. And I think we're starting to develop that sort of habit where Wells and Green are so physical and so clever and so, no, you know, our mall is so dominant. So we know how to go forward. You know, all there is intricacies, especially with someone like Borthwick, who is a mall's nors. You're going to know everything to know about a rolling mall for good or for bad. And you're going to know what to do to handle it. And you, you look at the, the physicality of those two boys, the nouse of Tommy Raphael for anything that spills over. 
you've got a pretty well set um, wall defence there. And it was, like you say, it came at a pretty crucial time because if that goes over for a try there, crowd have instantly got the backs up with 10 minutes to go. You know, you, I don't, I'm not sure we're coming out of that with a win, mate, as such. No, and I'm going to pick you up on one thing. She said that our mall is so dominant. Now, I don't think it's as dominant as it was earlier in this season. Now, got to credit Bath's mall defence because I think even just a couple of months ago, it was fucking embarrassing. They were getting absolutely motored through by Gloucester. I seem to remember seeing Tom Dunn waving at one going by him. And I said, what are you doing? Get your head in there. And it was, you know, Tom Dunn's a fine player. I've got no idea why he was coached. Just watch it go by. Absolutely bizarre. We had a chance to get a bonus point in this. We didn't execute the rolling mall properly. Again, that might have been good bath defence. Might have been unscrupulous play. It is still getting us tries. I don't think it's quite as dominant as it was earlier in the season. Would you agree? Yes and no. I think, um, especially last season and for first, maybe the first half of this season, we were scoring lots of rolling mall tries. I think we have maybe dropped off a little bit, but it's hard to criticise something that, you know, we still score at least one rolling mall try a game. So I wouldn't quite say it's a, is not as dominant because we're still scoring from it. I'd love to see the conversion stats from it because I think maybe our conversion rate has dropped off a little bit. I think, but I has, think we yeah. have to, but I think to counter that, I think we have to credit opposition teams because, you know, fundamentally it's no secret now. If you're playing against Tigers, you know that Tigers are going to bring a rolling mall game with them. And if you don't defend it properly and if you don't, you know, get in amongst it and, you know, maybe break the rules or break the laws, sorry, you know, you're probably going to concede a fair few rolling mall tries. So you've got to do your homework on the mall because it is still our go-to weapon, both in the midfield and in the, the opposition 22. And to a certain extent, it is our get-out on our own line. You know, we'll bring it in, get the mall going, shift it five, 10 yards, create an angle and off we go and we exit quite comfortably. So it's a big part of our game. So you have to be able to counter it. I think, yes, it probably isn't as dominant, at the start of the season. But I think that's maybe more to do with other teams counting it and doing their homework and really working hard to do it. And I still think we're pretty good with it because we're still scoring at least one try off the back of it. Or it may not be directly there. It's the next phase along or second phase along from a rolling mall. We still score a try from it. So I would hesitate to say it's not as strong, if that makes sense. Well... Maybe I've just got high standards, but if Montoya isn't scoring a hat-trick as the captain of my fancy rugby team, frankly, I'm pissed off. Sort it out, lads. Look, 24-20, final score, no bonus point, but absolutely take an important win after a proper struggle. Elliot, let's have a couple of three-word reviews. What have you got for me? Yeah, so one is from Taj Fajin, who's agreed with um, a bit of what we've to say, where he's put Kelly's England's 12. Yeah. Well, you're always going to get a mention if you agree with us on this, but he's he's bang right, isn't he? He looks, for the man of born, I mean, we've been shoehorning in 13s, playing 12 for England. Get a 12 playing 12, mate. Yeah. Crazy idea. Really. Absolutely fucking batshit crazy idea. Get a 12 who's in form playing 12. Mate, mate, he's a 12. Mate, that's some serious thinking outside the box, mate. And yeah, no, I absolutely agree. Uh, I'm going to give a shout out to Stuart Wright or Stuart Wright. I, I, sorry if I'm not pronouncing that correctly, but he said second watch better. And I think that's fair because I think first watch, it might have seemed very, very chaotic and like we were completely off the boil. And I think actually in the first half, we were just slightly off for a few percentage points, bar 
quite a shit 10 minutes. And so I don't think it was quite as dreadful as we thought it was perhaps first around. And it was definitely better viewing second time. Perhaps because you knew the score we knew we were going to win. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, it's always easy when you know the result in that regard. Um, Melvin Longhurst put winning is all. And I think, you know, we're starting to get to the business end of the season. Sometimes you've just got to grind out, especially away from home. A team at like Bath at the rec, sometimes performances go out the window a little bit and you've just got to get the win. Um, so, yeah, I think that's a, a pretty fair shout. And final one to John Cahill, who said, squeaky bum skid marks, which wasn't the most forensic analysis, but I thought was unpleasantly graphic enough to be worthy of mention. So thanks for that, John. Yeah, it was a bit nerve-wracking, uh, particularly when we were defending the line, but good to see the boys dig in and get a win. All right, well, we have a new feature, and you'll probably be pleased to hear by the end of it, probably a one-off feature, Elliot's Calculation Corder. <laughs> yes oh, what have I'm... you been doing with your spare time you're far too freshly married to be doing what you've done with this to be honest my wife loves it because I stay out of the way I don't annoy her <laughs> I can do this and she, you know I do this and I'm not annoying people so <laughs> it, it's, it's... it kind of like she goes into it knocks it up what are you doing in there you're like frantically putting away your calculations nothing nothing <laughs> <laughs> yes yeah, so to be fair she'd probably want it to be something else <laughs> this is more embarrassing <laughs> I can't, but, I've got I can't to be honest being, being a rugby Norse is, is going to be cited on the papers isn't it too much of a rugby Norse irreconcilable no, no, she, differences in all fairness I was sold a scene on, I'm sold a scene on that point I, I mean she no knew what she was getting into yeah, I mean, yeah, there's no buyer's remorse there. That, that's your own fault. So, um, <laughs> did you really say buyer beware as being <laughs> as the, the motto of love? I wonder if that snuck its way into the vowels. <laughs> no refunds. Yeah, a, <laughs> no taxes now. No taxes. Yeah. <laughs> all right, what, what have you got for us? There, you've been doing some uh, some maths. You've been uh, doing some. Uh, you've gone all sort of rain man with this, haven't you? Yeah. So over last couple of weeks, um, both. Uh, online social media different forums and you know the facebook groups and on uh leicester uh, radio leicester's podcast as well start some of the chat is now starting to turn around of obviously we're going rather well how many points are we are we in the top four if not how further have we got to go what points going to be needed you know top two is going to be the end target plus top four where are we doing so just to give us an idea of how we're tracking and to give a better picture of what's needed i've worked on two models so the first model looks at the current trend for the season so it's the kind of model around. i want to hear about or a different kind of model it's not quite that sort of model mate uh, we'll get, carry on anyway yeah okay so some people might find this model more attractive than others but it's about <laughs> this first one is a it's about spotting a trend so it's looking at you know we're 16 games into the season so that's a pretty good uh, you know, we're two thirds in. That's a pretty good statistical data pool to use to give an idea of where the trend is at. And so, therefore, I've looked at the win percentage um, for the top five and the bonus point percentage for the top five teams. And from there, we can sort of predict forward for the eight, nine games left and give an idea of a projected total of how that looks like. That gives us an idea of, you know, of the chasing pack, what they've got to do to improve themselves to catch us up. And where that potentially, if it, if we were to get into trouble, what would be needed to to, to do that? And yeah. without spoiling it, we are in a strong position. So 
The second model looks at the last 10 years performances and the points required for second and for fourth. That provides us an average. I've got a points per game because it's over a 22 game season. So we've got a points per game average for that. And then we've got extrapolated it forward over the 24 games that is this season. And again, that gives a sort of an, a rough idea of a points that's probably needed on an average basis to get second or fourth place. So again, we, we can go through that. So the first... So the first model is obviously looking at the current trends and we're going to look at top four. So Exeter at the moment are fifth and at the moment the best of the rest. So the model doesn't take into account teams like Sale or Wasps who overall their season win percentage is a bit lower. Their win percentage over the last few weeks is a lot higher because they won three or four games in a row. They're, those are the sort of teams that may go on a sort of run that takes six or seven out of the eight, six or seven wins out of the eight games. So it, the, the, the model doesn't take into account a team like that. But at the same point, the model does also doesn't take into account everyone's playing everyone as well. So um, the, the points might be a bit lower. And that, so it, yeah, they're going to take points does, off each other. Yeah, absolutely. So what it does do is give a rough idea of the trend of Exeter, how they're tracking. And if they continued at their current run rate, what it's going to be. So Exeter are fifth currently with 45 points. Their win percentage is 56.25% and their bonus point percentage is exactly the same, 56.25%. Nine wins and nine bonus points from 16 games. So times that by eight games left, that will generate at that percentage, so eight times 56.25% equals 4.5 wins. So let's round up, call it five. So that's 20 points. 4.5 4.5 bonus points. So again, round up. So that's five points in total. So 25 points. So projecting forward at Exeter's current run rate, that gives them an end of season total of 70 points. We're on, to give an idea of, of, of where how we're tracking, we're on 65 points as we stand now. So Ooh. we play Gloucester and Saris in the next two weeks. If we were to get five points at least over those next two games, on the current run rate, for Exeter are, we would be there or thereabouts in the top four. It would, for us to not get top four now, it would take someone like Exeter having to win all eight of their games and us dropping, you know, four or five defeats if, along if the way. If not more, if not more, yeah. I think, because obviously, again, with people taking points off each other, I think, yeah. you know, you'd be looking at us having to lose six of our last eight. Yeah, or potentially the horror situation is losing eight out of eight and only getting yeah. three or four bonus points, yeah. which with all due respect, <laughs> that would be a steward's inquiry in a half to, to, to try and explain <laughs> that sort of turnaround. So I think in terms of top four, I think with on the current, on that model, with there or thereabouts. So attention then turn to what's needed for the top two. So let's look at same methodology, Quinn's first, who are in third place with 48 points. They have a win percentage of 56.25%, but their bonus point percentage is a lot higher at 75%. They've both in defeat and victory, they're a lot more proficient at picking up mm. bonus points. So using the same methodology, 4.5 uh, on a win percentage, so that's we round up against so five wins, 20 points. Eight at that bonus point percentage is six. So that gives them a total of 26 points in total, taking them up to 74 points in total for the end of the season. We are on 65 and we play Gloucester next and away at Saris. 
So we potentially could be in a situation here looking at it, whereas if we win our next game, we've probably confirmed top four. And I think if we win our next two games, considering those opposition of Gloucester and Saris, that would take us on, if we got two four-point wins, that puts us on 73. If we get at least bonus point, we're in 73, 74, 75-point territory. So the max, looking at the current run rate, Quinns are going to get at their current run rate of how they're going, 74 points. Gloucester will get 72 points. So again, it's only two more points, two more wins really to, to get us there. With eight games left, the next four games really are very, very crucial because they're in, in around teams in the top seven or eight. Yeah, tricky so games we get, as well. So if we get OFO four games, a return of 10 or 12 points, I think that A, confirms us as top four and secondly probably takes us to top two as well so we've as near as damn it there and we're in a pretty strong position going into the last third of the season so that gives and just to continue that model just to finish it off just to uh, just to point out some rather amusing statistics tigers have a a top with 65 points they have a win percentage of 87.5 percent that's embarrassing isn't it yeah, I know. We just need to tighten up in a couple of areas. Um, a bonus points percentage is a bit lower at 56.25%. Put that into context. Last season, we had a win percentage of 50 and a bonus point percentage of less than 30. I think it was on the numbers. So big improvements on both. Taking it forward, if we continued at our current win percentage rate from our eight games left, we'd get seven wins. So 28 points. We would get 4.5, so five bonus points, so 33 in total. And if we continued at our current rate, we would end the season top with 98 points. Well, that's annoying. You've got to get the extra two from somewhere, haven't you? But you've yes. got to man city it, get get over 100 points. Yeah, absolutely. But the, the, the other, it does, ref, without going into a wider debate, it does reveal, reveal the shame of a playoff system where you can steamroll the league, finish top potentially with 90 points and 90 plus points. And you still don't win it. Yeah, but we, you know, we all know the game. Anyway, let's have a look yeah, at the second end. model. That's it. So looking at this, is again, this is last 10 seasons, looking at who's finished second, who's finished fourth, and what points were required. Probably should have done what was third or what's fifth, so you can see the gap. But at least if you aim higher, it's easier to work back. That's the yeah. principle. Average points uh, for the team coming second was 76.7, so 77. Average points finishing fourth was 66. So clearly on our total of 65, we're, we're tracking quite well to that. Points per game for finishing second is 3.5. Average points per game for finishing fourth is around three. So times in that over a 24-game season, which we're looking at, fourth required is 72 points and second is 84, so which is a little bit higher. Yeah, quite a bit higher for second place, yeah. It is, but that doesn't take into account the difference between second or third. But, you know it's better to aim a bit higher and, yeah, and, and drop yeah. it back. So again, whilst we're not mathematically confirmed and you know there's still a long way to go, we are tracking rather nicely on an average on a 10-year basis because it currently was 65 points. You know, comes back to the point, if we get one more win, we're probably there or thereabouts into the, into the top fourth. You know, statistically, it, we're, we would be in the top four with 70 points for eight of the 10 years uh, looking at it. 
So it's gone down as low as 56 and the highest was 74 back in 2013. And that's that's adjusting for the extra game. That's it. Yeah. So times in it by. And so yeah, 84 points required for second. So that would put us on four, four more wins, five more wins than what we currently are. But again, that's just an average figure over the last few years and doesn't take into account who's finished third. So the net result of all of this is we're pretty much, I would say, there. So I would say oh, one God. or two more wins. No, that's no, no, we're there. It's, it gets played back now, doesn't it, when the implosion happens? We, but I know what you mean. Yeah. Yes. Very so did, 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 I hope everyone has stayed with me. I hope I haven't bored you too much. But that just gives you an idea of what the numbers are showing. And we are tracking rather nicely. Okay, leap out of a plane with a parachute, preferably, if that's your thing, and land in the target zone of Elliot's Import 15. Uh, You've been watching Big Jet TV, haven't you? Oh, uh, who wasn't? Uh, what a Friday that was. Absolutely amazing. Apparently, Big Jet TV was like the most watched TV show over the weekend. I, I bet they had, you know, total viewers. It was something like a million viewers. They like beat, you know, whatever it's called, the midwife and the apprentice, <laughs> the apprentice were all just beaten into second place by the fact that people were watching big jet TV. It was fantastic. Yeah. Really good. Yeah. Get it down. Get it down. <laughs> Bosh. Lovely yeah, stuff. BA, BA plane did it. The uh, Emirates Airways couldn't have to go back again. You know, it's coming home. My favorite, particularly with the current situation, which is obviously very serious, was an Aeroflot was coming in. He goes, here come the Russians. Uh, which was uh, a lovely touch anyway uh, enough about place jumping around let's talk about the number two shirt and who did we put up for uh, selection in our imports 15 I mean as terms of as as free go they're pretty it was already always going to go one way I mean Julian Montoya Benjamin Kayser Tatafu Polotinau were the three that we, we we put forward in their own separate ways, all of them are good players, but you know, there was only ever really gonna be one uh, winner, and it was a clear runaway victory. 300 votes, 90% to the winner. It's Julian Montoya. Of course, it is Captain Argentina himself, the Emperor himself. Did you like em- my um extremely extremely low budget attempt at photo editing to put uh, Julian's face on uh, an emperor's. I think it was uh, Joaquin Phoenix from Gladiator, and I think I tried to superimpose Julian's face on that, and it looked absolutely budget. But my God, it suited him, didn't it? I mean, hauntingly uh, accurate. To be fair, yeah. the Emperor of Leicester, as it is, he's now going to be called, or the yeah. Emperor of uh, Saffron Lane. Um, <laughs> somebody i can't remember who it is i'm really sorry uh for, for not having the tweets in front of me but made a really good point he says yeah looks like an emperor plays like a gladiator well done that man who made that tweet yes but absolutely fantastic stuff he's a superb player worthy winner and he'll slot quite comfortably into what is going to be a very formidable front row i'm sure i mean a years and montoja is a pretty hefty one-two punch isn't it mm. speaking of gladiator I think I know who may be <laughs> fitting the bill for the third, number three shirt. I think it will be one-sided, but I do think that we have some genuinely good options there as well. So why don't, why don't you kick us off with the favourite? Yeah, it's not Chris Bauman. 
as as as, as people have asked. Oh, outrageous! I know it, it is the Bowmanator, only... as he calls himself. He doesn't, but I'm Guilty. just going to spread that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, it's got it's Castro. You know the obvious one. The the hairy situation is uh, the man himself. What, he, he, that's fair? his nickname, the hairy situation. It's like something out of WWE. Uh, just a quick story about Castro. I remember when my wife had moved over from Australia and we were living together in London. And for the first uh, couple of years, I got her into watching Tigers. She got really into watching them live. And she quickly identified Martin Giovanni as being her favourite player. And she said she quite fancied him, actually. It was also because she loved the dogs that he had as well. She basically thought he was wonderful. And I think we had the Premiership final where we lost to, I want to say, Saracens. And it was the one where we were camped on their line for, you know, like last five minutes and Wayne Bards um, gave them a penalty and they won the game. Very frustrating game. Oh, it's the Harlequins game. Either way, Castro comes out afterwards. And, you know, sort of you see sort of videos of like women at rock concerts crying and screaming. Fucking hell, that was Beth. Like, like Martin Castro Giovanni comes out and she all of a sudden just starts crying. And, and I was like, well, do you want a picture with him? I've got this picture of sort of Castro with his arm around her and she's kind of half smiling, half crying. She's so excited to see him. And I said to Castro afterwards, I was like, I think she loves you more than she loves me. And he goes, ha ha, no, pats me on the back. I say pats me on the back. Then he sent me through the fucking page. <laughs> like, absolutely clattered me. Absolute giant of a man. Lovely guy. So much passion. It was a wonderful interview I think World Rugby did with him uh, a little while ago. And he was talking about the his... Shirts. Uh, was it? Yeah, yeah. Talking through his shirts. That's exactly it. And he said this one. The Tigers one is the one that means the most to him. It's the one that made him and he loves the fans. He remembers when we all came out with Castro masks on. You know, I even loved Timo's, the restaurant, went there a few times. Saw Coley and Stanko in there and briefly said hello to Coley. And then they went and got an entire roast chicken each and sat in silence eating it. It's exactly (laughs) as I dreamed it would be. I mean, that's a dinner party for two for the conversationalist, isn't it? All that needs... It's Borthwick, and you have got a three-way conversation list uh, dream there of Coley, Boris, and Steve. I mean, mm. just think of the chat. It's unreal chat. Absolutely crazy stuff. But that was, uh, yeah, what an absolute less bonafide lesser legend, isn't he, Castro? Yeah, Castro, great player. We loved him. He loved us and just so good in at scrum time. And I mean, what an education he gave um, Coley to come through. I mean, what a... You know, we've been blessed with so many great tight heads down the years. I mean, Whitey, Garforth, Castro, Coley. You know, Castro got to slot in as one of the greatest of all time in that in that shirt. So, yeah, he's... Um, God, let's get him on. What a signing. Oh, yeah, what a, yeah, what a it, signing. I'll have to keep the wife out of the house if we get Castro on the podcast. That would be yeah, unreal. I mean, I mean, the fact that he even went to fucking Vegas to party with Zlatan. Oh, that was him so up good. there. It's like a very serious family situation has arisen. Okay, you go and do what you need to do, Martin. Fine. And then it's a picture of him doing like the Frank the Tank beer dance, whilst some scantily clad women are sort of dancing around. I'm not saying he was doing anything untoward, but it just adds to the whole aura of him there with his tummy out with Zlatan Ibrahimovic. Yeah, absolutely I mean, unbelievable. Fantastic. We have. We have probably got to look elsewhere as well oh, to, yeah. to run through some um, other situations. And another hair, hairy prop that we've had in tight head is old logo himself, Mulipola, who's uh, cracking, a cracking real, player. You know, a real 
great find, a, you know, a testament to the great scouting that we did. And it's, a, you know, shows what great coaching we had at Tigers, where he came to the club a little bit of an unknown and left, you know, fully progressed as a player and just beating up defenders for fun along the way. I mean, what a player. Had his injury problems, didn't he? But when we could get him fit, he could play loose head and tight head, which was massive, which got him a spot in the Colt Corner squad as well. And I think he's always going to be remembered. He was a big character himself, obviously had the big hair, but when he scored that try against Exeter, wasn't it? Jack Noel, who is not a shrinking violet by any means, got absolutely obliterated by him on the yes. way over. He took a, took a switch off Gonovan, didn't he? Absolutely gorgeous line. I mean, everything about it was great. And I think the fact he was pissing himself with laughter as he went over the try line it probably is a testament to uh, to it all because it was a, uh, yeah, anyone that puts Jack Noel on their ass is a pretty powerful player. Yeah, absolutely. And third and finally, I think we're going to put Frank Tournaire into the mix, who was a fine international player, part of a very dominant French front row at the time when he came over. I've seen some people say we never really got the best out of him, Wet Tigers, and I think perhaps that's fair because he was sort of vying for a spot with Garforth and he could never really sort of nail that down. But he was a superb player. And I think, as I said, when we were doing the Colt Corner um, 15, and I think we said he was too big name to come across to it, which is, which is probably fair enough. But I do remember him holding off a scrum half at full arm's length whilst this guy, like in a cartoon, the scrum half was just waving his arms trying to get to Tordaire. And Tordaire was just marching forward with this scrum half at full arm's length. It was brilliant to see. Cracking player. Yeah, definitely. I think, I think that's going to be... You know, there's Marino as well, but I think for the purpose of, of, of this discussion, I think the three that we're going to put forward would be Castro, uh, Munipola and Tornair. Absolutely. Absolutely. You'll put up a vote and we'll announce the winner next week. So in the meantime, let's start thinking about positions for the four shirt. Ooh. Ooh, I've got a couple. We'll wait, wait to find out next week. Right, well, back at home, Welford Road, Saturday afternoon, annoyingly close to the England kickoff. Uh, I'm going to this one, Elliot. I'm actually going to, a rare appearance of me watching a game live. I'm going to be on the terrace. And uh, I believe that on notice that I'm coming up, you're fucking off. Is that right? Yeah, basically, it it, it, it worked so badly the first time. I've, uh, I can't be seen next to you. <laughs> but no, unfortunately, it is a um, rather annoying that I'm not going to be there. So one, I can't share a beer with you. Um uh, and secondly, we're on the terrace to 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 cheer on the boys. So it's a, uh, I would say it's, it's a friend's fiftieth. So uh, we're off to the races at Chepso. So we'll be doing that instead. Well, maybe you can win the pod some money. I hope it's more successful than your trip to Vegas was. Anyway, well, all I know is it's the England Wales game, and I'm in fucking Wales for it. So I'm <sighs> lucky if I come back. You're behind mate. enemy lines, mates. My God. Excellent. Well, look, let's look ahead to the game against Gloucester. They're currently in fourth place. Taking into account the ramifications that you've put forward before, this is shaping up to be a huge game, isn't it? Absolutely. And to be fair, hold my hands up. I made a bit of a uh, a big call at the start of the season saying Gloucester, I thought, would be uh, down at the bottom. Well, I've been made to look fairly stupid. Because Did you say right at the bottom? I think I had them 10th. I think I, think I was around there as well. I think I had them around. We had them sort of in those echelons, didn't we? 10th or 11th. You got yeah, to give. We, didn't, we didn't didn't see any of them sort of shaking the sort of the top of the tree up, but 
they've come in and they've had a great season. You know, they gave us a bit of a game down at their gaff early on in the season. Um, they came storming into the, I know we let them back in it. I think if we'd have been a bit more clinical and Fordy had brought his kicking boots, we probably would have made that a lot easier uh, that evening. But, you know, fair play to them. They're, they're driving more that evening. Really uh, had us on toast. And to be fair, that, that driving mall has kept them going all season because that pack, we've just been sort of talking through some of the names involved in, you know, the pack at Gloucester. And Skivington's working to a similar sort of blueprint that Borfolk's been uh, working to, you know, really solid pack, really physical, really gnarly, really strong mall, uh, really good kicking game, good kick chase, and a bit of talent out wide to exploit any spaces that they create. And, you know, it's a game plan that's working for them. They've not got many sort of big uh, absentees in the pack for the Six Nations period. So they've got consistency in selection, consistency in their game plan. And, you know, they've taken a few teams apart. And I think this is probably going to be one of our toughest challenges at home all season. You know, it's going to be blood and thunder. Absolutely correct. I think Gloucester will go into this with a genuine and fair belief that they can turn us over. I think yeah. they're coming into the category, I would say, of having a pack that can challenge most other packs. The back five of the scrum in particular, I think, are fucking superb. Second row, let's start out. You've got Freddie Clark, who's been a man possessed this season. I thought he was really young. He's actually 29. He's had to really graft to get where he is, but he's just a machine, keeps going all game. Alamano, uh, Argentina's second row. You're a big fan, aren't you? Big physical lump. Yep. He was like Lavanini, but not giving away the penalties. <laughs> well, it would be the perfect second row. He's still doing it in the, the top 14, Lavanini. I, mean, I love the guy, but it was right to let him go. He's such a liability. Uh, six, Geordie Reed. I really like Geordie Reed. He, I think he'd be the kind of guy we'd love on the terraces. He's yeah. nuggety. He's got dreadlocks. We like guys with like crazy hair. Uh, he's an Aussie, so you know Bondi will like him as well. And he's hard as nails, tough, nuggety, really good six. Ludlow at seven, just a really good round, all-round workhorse, good skipper of the club as well. And Ackerman at eight has just been a man reborn this season. I think when he first joined, we, he had a huge impact under his dad who was coaching at the time. And he's right back to that form now. He's not just a brute. He's not just strong. He's really smart in how he attacks around the corner. And that battle with Visa is going to be absolutely pivotal to the game, I think. I mean, Ackerman scored against us in the in the first game. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, over at King's Home. So, yeah, it's a, it's a fascinating battle in terms of that pack. Because if you look at, you know, the names for Tigers and the names that are going to be involved for Gloucester, it's going to be one hell of a battle up front. And, you know, we mentioned it last week. And to be fair, we always mention it. But it, this game more than others, whoever gets the dominance up front, is going a long way to winning the game. And and we spoke about earlier on in the pod about, you know, set you know, stopping the mall and is our mall as dominant as 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 it has been. Well, I think this is probably two of the best malls in the uh rolling malls in the league going at each other. So it's gonna be fascinating to see how they cope with each other. And it's gonna we've got to be right on our our metal and you know, the three buzzwords of intensity, discipline, accuracy. I think really comes to the fore this weekend because if we're not at the races on all three of those aspects, a team like Gloucester are good enough to take advantage of it, whether we're at home or not. Absolutely. I think the one area we might have a bit of an edge might be the front row. And I say a bit of an edge, I mean, relatively slight edge. I think, firstly, we've got Montoja, best hooker in the league. Singleton is a decent hooker, but I don't think he's in Montoja's class. You've got Coley, 
versus Balmain. And I think Coley takes that still if he's fit. Obviously, I hope he's fit. Hayes might be released to us back as well. That's going to be important. Strength off the bench will be very important on this because I don't think their bench backup is entirely convincing. Uh, Ford Robertson's really good prop around the park. Questions sometimes asked about scrummaging as well. And, uh, you know, Wickham, the way he's going at the moment, you'd hope he might uh, be able to get a nudge on Balmain. We'll have to see. But that's going to be really, really tasty. Scrum is going to be really tight. They're certainly not weak in the scrum, but hopefully an area we can get a slight nudge. In the back line, I think it's important to know that Atkinson's been released from England's squad. He's a great centre. I think he scored a lovely try against us as well, didn't he, when we played them? And, you know, he's yeah, going... interestingly, he did, he did Dan Kelly in the process. Yeah, Kelly as well with the form he's in. And they were both in that summer squad playing for that England 12 shirt. Atkinson's selected ahead of Kelly, apart, you know, this uh, Six Nations. Kelly's got a point to prove. Be really interesting to see how he goes. That's a fascinating matchup, right? I think, like you say, Kelly's progressed so much since the start of this season, let alone from last year. I think that's going to be a real interesting tussle to see who comes out on that. It's interesting as well uh, at 10 with Freddie Burns as well, see how he um, gets on across his opposite number because obviously Gloucester have got a couple of good options in Hastings and Evans. So, yeah, I think it's a, a battle in the back line. It's going to be really um, fascinating, especially when you've got someone like Ollie Forley who's available for selection for Gloucester as well. Yeah, absolute athlete, Ollie Thorley. He's done a lot of damage against us before. Scored a world at King's Home, I remember, when we were really crap. And uh, he was absolutely fantastic. Now, look, let's look at Tigers. So let's assume and hope and pray Coley's fit because Hayes will probably be away with England, I think. Assuming he's fit, obviously he starts. But are you making any changes to the team that played Bath? Making maybe a couple of subtle ones. It depends on, like you say, availability. Uh, I'd probably bring Hanrow in to start. I think that's a um, a position where I think Hanrow's experience and leadership from, from the off is something that's key. I'd be tempted to go Whitcomb to start with. I know Francois van Veek did all right in the 45-50 minutes on, on Saturday. I don't think he had a bad game. But I think Whitcomb, given how well he finished uh, the game... I think he deserves a start and a bit of a youthful enthusiasm might go a long way. Yeah. Um, I think he'd be relishing the thought of having a crack at, at Balmain. So I'd be interested to let him to let him go at that. Maybe tempted to take Harry Potter out just purely because I think he struggled a little bit against Bath. I don't think he had a particularly awful game, but I think he struggled a little bit. I might be tempted to bring Ashton in um, for this one. Bring him out onto the right wing. Um, and... I'd keep Hegarty at 15. I don't have any issues there, but I'd, if fit, and if he is fit, I'd have Mui Mui Valu at, at 23 shirt because he offers yeah. that sort of versatility. I think he, he's getting there because I saw him in trading pictures. So hopefully he's on the comeback trail. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to know. Obviously, one with Steve giving nothing away and trying to work out what bibs mean, what, whether he's on the, the not touch I'll list. I'll give it up. Or, yeah, yeah, that's yeah it. I mean, sometimes it's, I'm like, oh, he's definitely playing and then he's not in the squad. So absolutely pointless. I'd bring in Green for Snayman as well, I think. Would you? Yeah, absolutely. But it's interesting because I was looking at this thinking it's going to be an arm wrestle. When you think arm wrestle, you think slow, turgid, physical pushing. I think this is going to be one of the most physical games of the season. Warfare. Well, it's going to be warfare. I'd be tempted to bring in uh, Liebenberg, but for Rafael and go go for the big, big pack to really get into their line out and to really focus on winning the collisions. 
I think that's going to be absolutely key. And they're really explosive pack on their side, explosive pack on our side when we get going. I think it's going to be hit after hit in the middle. Brutality across the field. Uh, Welford Road, front of a terrace, that's one where the crowd can properly get involved in. You can hear me. I want to get involved in it now. It sounds absolutely fucking brilliant. Yeah, try not to jump on the pitch from the terrace, mate, because you're, you're so excited. Well, um, I, after I got slapped last time I played, and I, I think anyone on that pitch will be able to slap me a little bit harder than the bloke who did on Saturday. So <laughs> so I won't be going anywhere near it. But, I mean, for me, I think we've got to go all out physicality and try and batter that gain line straight off the bat. Because if you give Gloucester a sniff or a front football, they're such a dangerous side. They've got class in the back line as well. So going to be super, super excited for the game. What's your prediction on it? This is a genuinely very, very tough one. And I think with five minutes to go, 75 minutes on the clock, the result will still be in the balance because I, I think it's got that, it. Yeah. yeah, I think this is going to be a full 80 minute game requirement. I will go Tigers by three and it will be a squeaky bum right at the end where I think we might have to, like we did it there, Gaff, rely on a Tommy turnover. Uh, on the on the, the final whistle to, to get us out a bit of out of stuck because um, yeah they're gonna they're gonna test us but yeah Tigers by three yeah I wouldn't be surprised if we get turned over in this one I think that we're hit much harder by international call ups than they are might be tempted to start JVP as well actually in this one I think that if we're gonna play explosive hard hitting carriers I think having a quicker nine to go and hit them quickly get around the corner quicker. I think it might be appealing. Uh, I'm going to give it two points. Tigers by two. Yeah, I, I, I don't think there's any disgrace if we did get turned over, to be honest, because the way Gloucester are rocking and rolling, I think they will have, they've, they've done some damage along the way, to be fair, this season. Oh, it'll be a nightmare. As some of you might know, I am going to be going off to Australia in about, well, just under four weeks to go and see my wife's family, who are all born and raised in Gloucester originally. And my father-in-law, who is who bleeds cherry and white, I had to explain to him that his blood is actually red, so that's completely normal. The white bit is slightly more concerning. But he has very much enjoyed the last two seasons whilst we've been languishing in the doldrums, even though Gloucester have only been average. And now he's sending me messages about Gloucester and Tigers being in the top two. My brothers-in-law are in, in on this as well. I'm very concerned about this game. I might have to fake some sort of illness to avoid getting on the plane if we lose. Wow. Well, I mean, that's big talk. <laughs> it's coward's talk. No, come on, Tigers. <laughs> Let's get behind the boys. There's still tickets available. I think there's still terrorist tickets. I've picked one up. I'll be there. If that's not going to put you off, come and see me in the bar. I'll tweet where I am and we can have a beer and talk about the game. <laughs> well, here cometh the endeth of eth the... It's the end of the podcast. We'll just give up on that. It's the end of the pod. Thank you very much for listening. Elliot, do you have anything you wanted to say before we head off? No, but fair play to Premiership Rugby for putting a streaming service oh, available yes. to us all. So for the Princely Summer, I think it's £5. You can choose your game. I think for six ninety nine or seven ninety nine, you get a whole weekend pass um, straight to your phone or tablet. And I think they're trialling it to see how it goes for the rest of the season. And next season, there's going to be some season passes. So intrigued to see how it goes. Hopefully, it's of good quality. And it's the, um, you know, we've moaned enough about them on this podcast, but I think it's a step in the right direction. 
They've done a couple of good things recently, actually, I think. They have, haven't they? And this is one of them. And they seem to be listening to people. They've got the highlight show back. They've got Topsy and Flats. It's a shame Mark Dern-Smith isn't on it, but, you know, it's a really good little setup they've got of that highlight show. And getting the non-televised games available for people to stream, I think, is really fantastic. So well done, Premiership Rugby. I think there's a new guy who took over recently. Simon Massey-Taylor, I think is his name. Yeah, Simon, we love you, mate. Well done. If he's listening to me, fantastic. If you get the fantasy rugby thing going, and if you start really pushing for a rugby console game, then I think we'll be laughing. But well done, Premiership Rugby, for listening. It means we can watch our beloved Tigers, even when BT Sport decide to show Saracens again instead. But no, I think that's all from us very much today. If you do like listening to us, please leave us a review or a rating on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. Other than that, we will see you next week. Go on, the boys. Come on, Lester.